When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's Americans in Action episode, I'm joined by two friends to help me figure out which USMNT players need a move and who should stay put. Plus, we take a look back at the weekend's results for a few different Americans. Joining me today, all the way from Scotland, is a man who loves a plain white shirt with a tiny, tiny bit of decoration. It's Graham Ruthven. Hi, Graham. Hi, Taylor. I presume that you're referencing the leaked USMNT kits for this Winter's World Cup. Is that correct? I think we'll find out in just a moment because joining us is our man in Arizona, a guy who spilled dark blue paint onto slightly lighter blue paint <laughs> and thought, why not wear that as a shirt at the World Cup? It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. Hi. Hi, everybody. So I went through and did a very short video on this for Backheeled. And I described the the white jersey that was leaked yesterday from a couple of different accounts as, you know, almost all white with a few blue accents. And then I, I couldn't adequately describe the blue jersey in a short enough amount of time. So I just kind of gestured at it and said, whatever this is, it is it's blue and then also more blue, but also neither of the blues really fits to i i guys i don't get it i do not get this they they are they are undoubtedly weird and and the strange thing about them is so nike have got a template not to be too nerdy about it but nike have got a template for this season and the kind of neck details of the home shirt fits with that template i think it's a little bit strange but kind of looks like a like a bat wing like a batman yeah. symbol below mm-hmm. the neck that's very much in keep yeah that's very much in keeping with, with what nike have done this season but then this the swoosh logo on the sleeve is, is is borrowing something from a psg third kit from last year and neither of those details I was, i'm particularly keen on so you mesh them together and i'm not sure you get a classic usmnt kit certainly the home kit yeah. the away one is slightly better i think i would describe it joe as like a tie-dye design i think is what it kind of is or like paint splodges just, but just it's by someone who's bad at tie-dye slightly better but uh not not the biggest fan of you that one either you don't tie-dye blue with another shade of blue you tie-dye blue with like <laughs> a bright red yeah, something yeah i don't I, I, well yeah. or you could even go blue with other blues something has to be lighter on it because otherwise like we live in a pandemic era how many movies have begun with like close-ups of cells dividing and you're seeing the virus be born <laughs> like that looks like a petri dish is what it looks like to me uh so i also think the the center badge i get what they're going for but it ends up making it look like a training top and, yep. and i have training yeah. tops that look sort of like both of these so it ends up seeming unfinished which is maybe what it is because the only other thing i will say it does seem like a couple different images are slightly different so i think we have the rough idea of what it would look like i do know that uh kit providers will leak uh, jerseys to certain areas or certain stores to see what gets posted because then they can identify those kits and know who is leaking. But with that in mind, all of these seem to have the rough, like roughly same ideas with a few little different details to differentiate. So overall, I think this is 
probably yeah. something we will be getting. The the one to look out for is footyheadlines.com. When they when they have the leak, it's it's a hundred percent legit. The the fact that the swooshies were were not on the shirt at all, the the one that was leaked yesterday threw me off because we haven't seen that on the night template. But then Phil Delves tweeted out a picture that showed them on the sleeves, and I thought, oh wait, actually no, that does seem like that could be legit. But Footy Headlines, that's the Fabrizio Romano of the kit world. Pretty hmm. sure these are already at my local Ross for nineteen dollars. <laughs> so. I mean, that is what they look like, and maybe maybe they're just jumping ahead. Maybe they're lowering expectations that if the U.S. does poorly then we would expect that that like iteration of the World Cup jersey to be on sale pretty quickly. So if they put it on pre-sale, then they're going to do well, right? This logic is, is sound. I feel like I'm <laughs> yes. not grasping yes. at straws at all. <laughs> Solid logic there. Joe, what was Weston McKenney's comment again on Instagram? I can't uh, remember he, what he it said, was. He said something along the lines of, I tried to tell them with like a, <laughs> a face and hands emoji. or I don't remember what the emoji was, but he commented on, on an Instagram post about this. And very clearly, the players are not really digging these jerseys. And fair play to them because they're ugly. So that, that all checks out. Everything I know about Weston McKinney tells me that that absolutely happened. Oh, yeah. That he, that he was given these and he looked at them and thought, like, this is it? Like, this is the training top, right? Like, come on. This isn't what you're sending us to World Cup in, is it? Like, I could absolutely see him uh, give it back a little bit because oh. these are, especially the white one. Like, I get there's always going to be a, a white jersey or a lighter jersey, but there's so much more you could do with that. And it, it just, it's a bit of a bummer. It's not quite is- what we were looking for. It reminds me of 2002, not 2022. Well, that's the thing. I think Nike are going, this makes me feel old because they're going retro with those designs. I think that's yeah. what they're, they're trying to evoke is the early 2000s, which, as I say, makes Attitude. me feel very old that that now counts as nostalgia. But the thing is about the USMNT shirts is can we not just keep the current cycle of shirts? Because I, I like both of those ones, the ones that they wear, the home one with the, yeah, the, is it called the Futura logo? The Nike logo that has the, the Nike text in it, which is kind of retro in itself. I think the home kit right now is really clean. And then you've got the kind of slightly more adventurous away one. I don't know how you would describe it, but the red and blue like zigzags and yeah, stripes. I like that one as well. Can we just keep those? Yeah, I think. It is the nature of the beast that by the time you slowly get accustomed to the new kit and you, you sort of like appreciate the quirks and start to like it, that's when they change it again to something new. Uh, and then by the end of that cycle, you maybe have become, become more accustomed to it and then they change it again. Or maybe you just actively hate it for this World Cup cycle and then we'll see what <laughs> happens next. Either way, we have a rough idea of what that jersey would look like. We should talk about uh, a few of the people who could be filling out that jersey uh, come the World Cup in Qatar. We are going to talk about uh, who did what this past weekend. But the larger portion of this show is going to be focused on Americans who could use a move uh, or should not take a move if offered. Uh, And I think a lot of this stems from our recent conversations about Christian Pulisic. Is that a fair summary of things, Joe Lowry? Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. A lot of this stemmed from the idea of me talking about putting players in bubble wrap and and you guys adding carbonate to that whole mixture, which is beautiful. (laughs) And, And also looking at... The, the reality that players are going to want to move, right? The World Cup is not the end-all and be-all of their careers, but it is something to consider. And it is a, a meaningful event in this calendar year. In a couple of months now, that's going to come up and have a, a real impact on their their next at least couple of years, depending on how things go. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to go through a few different Americans to look at whether they should go or stay, and I, I don't think we're going to agree on all of them either, which I think is is okay. We should, though, talk about like the idea of moving in general. Do Are we comfortable with players, broadly speaking, making a jump at this point? I mean, mm-hmm. we would have all probably as, like preferred they get a full preseason and everything like that. But with some of these players, 
does the timeline to the World Cup impact whether or not you think they need to move? Uh, Graham? Yeah, absolutely. And I think on, it's, a, it's, a, it's on a case-by-case basis. So there'll be some players in our list that I think probably could do with a move, others that I think should stay put. Um, and there's only 96 days until the start of the 2022 World Cup. It was 97 days until, oh, sorry, it would have been 97 days until last week when FIFA changed the start date. They've only had 12 years to plan for this tournament, but they've decided <laughs> to change the start date of the tournament till a day earlier. Graham, I thought you were going to say it would have been 97 days yesterday, and I was all ready to nod <laughs> along with you. I'm all about that. Yep, that checks out. Yeah, I, I made sure to to make sure to uh, get my wording there right. It would, <laughs> if we'd stuck with the original schedule, today would be 97 days, but it's actually 96 because they've changed the start date. Boom. But when you get this close to the, the start of a tournament, players often have a, a, a dilemma. And I know this, this year's tournament is in the winter, so it's slightly different with a summer transfer window coming before it. But you do get that same scenario in principle with the January transfer window before a summer tournament should a player move this close to a world cup is it worth the disruption when there's a tournament just around the corner and i know there are differing opinions among us on this in principle but i i personally would take the risk of a potential injury between now and the start of the world cup and have a player in form and match sharp for the start of the tournament which is to say i would i would gamble on finding game time rather than sitting on a bench until it's it's time to get on a, a flight to qatar because one of the benefits of this world cup is that it comes in the middle of the season there's only 7 days between the end of the 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 first half of the european season and the first game of the world cup this time so in theory you should have sharper players at least for the start of the tournament if you ha- and if you have players not getting game time in the first half of the season you maybe lose out on that benefit and maybe maybe someone like Pulisic, who we're going to talk about a little bit later on, maybe he's in better shape by the time you get to the knockout rounds. Maybe he benefits from growing into the tournament. But that, that to me, is just a hell of a risk. You need to look after your group games. First of all, you need to have everyone fit and sharp. But I do accept Joe's principle that, you know, injury is a risk and maybe you don't want players being run into the ground before a, before a, a tournament. But I think somewhere in between those two extremes would probably be the best scenario for me. Uh, Graham, I did a sort of knives out moment and only read the tweet of the headline about that story. Uh, was it that Qatar realized or the World Cup bid committee, hosting committee realized that they were not the first game yeah. and so they had to change it? Yeah, someone clearly at the, I forget the name of the, the official committee that organizes the, the Qatar so World I. Cup, but they uh, clearly hadn't looked at the schedule because <laughs> the first game I think was Senegal, Netherlands. Yeah, it was. Um, and there were three, it was, it was due to start on a Monday, which in itself was weird because I've never known a, a World Cup to start on a Monday. It's normally a, a Friday and at the very least a, a weekend normally. So that was weird in itself. Then three games on the first day, they had Qatar, Ecuador as the, as the first night game on the Monday, but not the first game. So it was all very strange. And I think I did actually highlight that in one of the previous podcasts or maybe one of the BR lives that we did. But someone in Qatar 2022 realized this and they've now changed the start date to the Sunday. If ever there were a real-life Veep moment, it was that. Because I can absolutely picture Selena Meyer sort of teeth wide open, smiling, while definitely frowning with her eyes, <laughs> saying, like, the host country has to play first. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. And then they have to change the entire schedule. Yeah, they only had the 12 years, as you said, Graham. And, you got to get that last minute. And another Veep thing is all the, all the Qatar marketing. So in the UK at the moment, all the, a lot of the taxis, particularly in London, have Qatar 2022 branding on them and they all have the wrong start date now on them so that feels very veep as well
oh, someone's going to be very, very mad about that scheduling change and how they didn't see it until they missed that opening game. Though I don't know how many people in England are going to be desperate to watch Qatar. Hopefully they will be when we do our Soccer 101 episode about them <laughs> this week. For now, let's talk Christian Pulisic, the uh, the origin of this conversation. Joe, I, I feel the need to kind of throw to you, but I feel like your perspective on Christian Pulisic has been established. But thus far this season, 25 minutes versus Everton, 5 minutes versus Spurs. Yes. And I feel like that's a good indicator. <laughs> of what this season will be for him. He will get those substitute minutes. He'll play some cup games. Uh, he will start games if somebody is injured. But the front three seems to be Mount, Havertz, and Sterling. I can't really hate on that. They all do pretty good things pretty consistently. So it feels like we kind of know where he will be. And I think it's safe to assume that even if he is getting those sort of cameo appearances, still his spot on the plane is safe. Uh, agree with all that, Joe? No doubt, no doubt. I mean, I'm I'm really here for Christian Pulisic playing five minutes and 25 minutes off the bench for clubs so we can go and do the exact same thing for the U.S. men's national team. You got Aronson on one side, you got Weah or Reyna on the other. <laughs> I mean, this this thing just fits in quite well. I, I do think that it is better for Christian Pulisic, who has not proven he can stay healthy. I wrote about this a, a while back. I've talked about it over and over again. He has never in his career, certainly not in the last few years, established that he is capable of being an every game starter and staying healthy at the exact same time. There, there might be a fitness cost that you pay here. There might be a reality that because Pulisic's playing, you know, 15 minutes a game off the bench or 30 minutes a game off the bench and, and playing maybe starting every third week between cup competitions in the Premier League with a congested schedule for Chelsea, there could be a reality where that's not quite enough to keep him match fit. I, I don't really think I buy that. I'm guessing that when you have 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there, 90 minutes here, 90 minutes there, that's probably enough to get you in form, plus you have some time ramping up along with everyone else. It's a short amount of time, but you're going to have a week or so heading into the World Cup that does level everyone out at least a little bit. I think it's worth the trade-off to have a healthy, or, or the odds of Christian Pulisic being healthy go up when his minutes go down. And I think that trade-off, even with this fitness wild card tossed in there, I think that trade-off is worth it for him. I think it's worth it, or would have been worth it for someone like Tyler Adams, he already made his move to Leeds, and so we're going to see how that goes for him in terms of his fitness. But Adams is then in that same category of players who have not proven they can stay healthy and play 2,000-plus minutes a season on a regular basis. We've just not seen that. And so I, I like the idea of Pulisic staying at Chelsea. In, in addition to the fact that, fellas, I don't know that there's a ton of really obvious quality destinations for him right now. Not only do I think it's better for him at the World Cup, and that is how I'm viewing this conversation, for him to stay at Chelsea and not be an every game starter. But I also don't think there's a lot of moves out there that make sense for him, right? You're looking at Everton? Is, is that really where we want Christian Pulisic to go? We're no. looking at, at Newcastle. I mean, I'm, I'm more intrigued by Newcastle as a project right now yeah. from a soccer standpoint than Everton. Maybe you're looking at a move to Italy, but just none of those moves really make me go, yes, that is the obvious place for Christian Pulisic to go. Set the World Cup aside. That's worth it for his career. I think in terms of a career standpoint, setting the World Cup aside, at least as a destination, Pulisic staying healthy or the odds of him staying healthy go up when he doesn't play as much for Chelsea. He goes to the World Cup. Ideally for the U.S., he plays well there and he's betting on himself to have a good tournament. And then he leverages that move to a club either in the winter or in next summer to a, to a team that actually will elevate his career or at the very least be more of a lateral move instead of going to a team like Everton. So I think in addition to the injury situation, the timing just isn't really right for Christian Pulisic to move right now. And in terms of his career, I've got no doubts right now. I've kind of made my mind up on Pulisic at Chelsea. And in terms of his career, looking beyond the World Cup 
eliminating that from the discussion. I think he should be looking to leave Chelsea. I think Tuchel has has made clear he envisages a, a front line without Pulisic. Tuchel is, is is all about trust as a manager, and I don't think he has that that trust in Pulisic. Not really. Not not in the same way that he trusts Havertz and and Mount certainly. And and now you have Raheem Sterling in there as well. But I do accept that shaking the snow globe by by making a transfer this close to the World Cup isn't I, ideal either, because you would want him to be settled somewhere by the tournament by the time the tournament comes around, and there's absolutely no guarantee of that if if, if you make a move. The rumor of Newcastle is an interesting one, and there are some things to like about that potential move. So Newcastle are an improving team. They play in a four three three shape, so obviously there's 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 overlap there with the USMNT. However, the thing about the, that move is that Pulisic would be directly up against one of Newcastle's best players for a starting place on that left side at least. So Alan Saint Maximin plays on the left side for for Newcastle. So you could feasibly end up in a situation where Pulisic goes goes to Newcastle on loan. I think he probably does start over San Maximin, but there is a bit of competition for that place, and maybe he's not starting every game for Newcastle. I think I think what would happen is he would one of those two would get shifted out to the right side, but that's maybe not where you want him playing in relation to his position for the USMNT. So I, I accept with some of the the moves that have been um, he's been linked with with Newcastle. Let's not even talk about Everton because he should stay miles away from from Goodison Park at the moment. Roma have been linked with with Pulisic and and. Um, I think that would be interesting in that Mourinho plays with a, a front three, but it's quite a narrow front three. He likes to have um, overlapping wing backs. So maybe he fits into that team, but I, I have doubts not to uh, trot out any cliches about Serie A, but I think it's fair to say Serie A is a, a slightly slower league than the Premier League. And, and I don't know if that suits Christian Pulisic. So maybe the Premier League or the Bundesliga is the, the leagues he should be looking to if he's making a move. So I accept all this is, is not ideal. If, if there was a, a, a perfect move for him, I would say make it because I think back to that game. What game did he score the hat trick in for the US 70? Was that the Panama game in Orlando? Um, yeah, and I think it. back to that game and one of the conclusions we all drew from that game was what a difference an informed Christian Pulisic makes for the US. And I thought ahead to the World Cup and, and thought, if you get that player, he could be the difference between not just getting out of the groups, but actually making a, a deep run in a World Cup. So make, that's, the, that's the gamble with Pulisic. If you get him in that shape, he can make that amount of difference. But I, I agree with Joe that the moves that he's been linked with are, are not ideal. Um, a couple of follow-ups for the both of you. Uh, first off, dibs on Let's Not Even Talk About Everton as my new podcast name. Uh, <laughs> we start an Everton fan cast. That's good. Um, talking about if we can get that version of Christian Pulisic at the World Cup. Joe, I feel like you were kidding on the square when you talked about how, like, oh yeah, 10, 15 minutes, that lets him do 10 and 15 minute cameos for the U.S. Perfect. I also kind of feel like that was kidding on the square because it was joking, but also, is that serious? Is that where you sort of think he he could have the best impact for the United States because with everyone else playing the minutes we would expect them to be playing and your concerns about his reliability, would you rather see him utilized as that sort of super sub? It's it's too early to tell. I think that's something that we'll have more data on during the World Cup itself. If you've got Brendan Aronson who comes out and, and just tears things up in the first game and Gio Reyna's healthy and fully fit and Tim Weah is out there, maybe Pulisic isn't a starter for this team. I'm not willing to rule out the fact that Pulisic mm -hmm. might not be a starting option. I'm also not willing to rule him out as a starter. It, it just depends. And I do think it's an encouraging sign from Greg Berhalter that think back to the June window, we saw him toss an extra attacker on the field. We saw Brendan Aronson go out plus two other wingers 
And so you have multiple different attacking options outside of, or you have at least one extra attacking option outside of the standard two winger setup in that four three three with three central midfielders. You you drop a central midfielder and put Aronson on in a hybrid kind of role where he presses as an eight but attacks in the right half space. And now there's another spot. So I do think with that tactical change, Pulisic's odds of starting goes up. But just with other talent in the pool, Mm -hmm. I think if Pulisic isn't starting by the time November rolls around, it could be a bad thing because he might just be in dreadful form. But it also could be a really great sign for this U.S. pool and how other attackers are performing for the U.S. men's national team. Is there not also a scenario where Berhalter maybe looks at the the opposition and adapts his his attack depending on that. So for instance, the England game, you would expect England to have most of the ball and I would suggest maybe Pulisic is, is more suited to that game. But then the Iran game, maybe even the the, the Wales game as well, the US would expect to, the, the script's going to be flipped for those games and, and maybe someone like, a counter-presser like Aronson's actually more valuable in, in that attack than, than than someone like Pulisic. But the, the really the, the summary there is that the US have options, good options in, in this part of the, of the pitch. And so it's it's not really... I think the ideal scenario is Pulisic is in form, he's sharp, and he is the US's best player at the World Cup. But it's, it's not a total disaster if he is if he's not that player because, as I say, the US have good options in that part of the pitch. They do. I think I just I have a feeling that he is if he's in the squad, he is a starter. Uh, maybe maybe that changes over the next few months if he's not starting for Chelsea and other players are starting for their respective clubs. But it seems to me like right now he is a starter, and so to have him only getting five and ten minutes and then coming in and trying to play three full games in relatively short order, that would make me a little bit nervous. Uh, Graham, I have one more question for you about Pulisic uh, that maybe will make me feel less nervous. Uh, So you were talking about maybe not fitting in with what Tuchel wants or not being the best fit Mm -hmm. right now, and maybe that's why he needs to be moved on. Uh, But if there isn't an ideal club for him, an obvious landing spot, then let's say he does stay at Chelsea, but let's say for hypothetical reasons, sorry England fans, Mason Mount gets hurt. What is the thing that you think Thomas Tuchel spends the most time working with Pulisic on to improve in his game? What is the thing that you think he most needs to work on to sort of elevate to that next level where he is more of a conversation for starting? Well, when when I think back to last season, and Pulisic was was getting quite a bit of game time last season because Chelsea's attack was a bit of a work in progress. When I think back to some of the criticism that he was getting last season, it was that he was he was taking way too many touches mm-hmm. of the ball. And actually, I know Pulisic is always a, a a talking point for USMNT fans, but he he became a big talking point over here in the UK as well. A lot of the analysis of Chelsea focused on him, and that was the thing that they highlighted was he was just too ponderous on the ball and, and Chelsea's move would, would slow down. And it was, it was counterproductive for him because obviously that's not making the, the, the most of his abilities. You want Pulisic, I think you want Pulisic making sharp, quick decisions and getting a pass away or a shot away or a cross away, doing things very quickly. And that's why I say some, a game like the England game might be better suited to him because there'll be more space for, for him to, to work with in, in that match. So that's one of the things I, th- I think he needs to improve on. I think Pulisic, sorry, Tuchel with his, with his current front line of, of Sterling, Haver, and Mount, he wants counter-pressing. He wants pressing from the front. And Pulisic isn't bad in that regard. He's, he's certainly no Cristiano Ronaldo. He, he is capable of pressing from the front. I just think the intensity isn't always there in his, in his counter-pressing in particular. So those are, are two areas that I think Tuchel would want to see more of from Pulisic. And he probably is... You know, there are some players at Chelsea like Ziyech, who, who's completely out of the picture and you would expect him to leave by the end of the month. Tuchel, eh, sorry, Pulisic isn't that far down the pecking order. So there is, there is a scenario where someone does get injured and he does come back into the, into the, into the lineup. But 
at, at the moment, I think with with the way Chelsea are going, it feels like they are building an attack without him. And for someone of to, uh, Pulisic's talent, how, what did he cost again? Sixty million pounds or something like that. Um, I think he probably wants to play for a team that builds something around him rather than being a peripheral figure as he is right now at Chelsea. I genuinely cannot remember how much he cost. Uh, it was a big thing at the time. Now I feel it like was. money, m- money, money is meaningless when you can just pull levers if you're Barcelona. Um, <laughs> all right, so where do we land then on Pulisic? It seems like Joe is comfortable with him staying there at least until the World Cup. Graham, uh, it seems like you're sort of in between. I am. I think it depends on on the move that yeah. he that he that he gets. The funny thing is. I keep coming back to Liverpool being kind of the perfect team for, for Christian Pulisic. And mm-hmm. there's that sliding doors moment where Liverpool were linked with Pulisic for so long. Obviously, there was the Dortmund connection with Klopp and in the end Chelsea get him. And you, you just wonder how his career pans out over the last few or how his career goes over the last few years if he signs for Liverpool instead of Chelsea. I suspect it maybe goes a little bit better. Not that his Chelsea career has gone uh, has been a disaster but it certainly feels like there's un- untapped potential there so I say stay put unless you get a move to Liverpool which seems unlikely at this point <laughs> uh, alright I'm good with that one yeah I'll, I'll amend it to stay put unless you get an offer for immediate playing time from an ideal situation and yes. it doesn't seem like there are many of those but and I'll be all stay away from Everton and Manchester United. Uh, always good rules to live by. We will take one quick break. We will be back to talk about more Americans who could be on the move. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We are back. We've talked about one American in the form of Christian Pulisic. Let's talk about another in the form of Serginho Dest, still with Barcelona for now, but has been on his way out the door for, I believe, the last hundred years or so. <laughs> Basically, the day he signed with Barcelona, the next day, I think, he was being discussed as possibly being moved on. He was, get, uh, he was getting told his, co- his contract, his salary yes. was getting cut. Yes, it was uh, a, a state crime or something like that, I think, is how all the contracts work now. Uh, when in doubt, just blame the government and then rewrite the contracts. Enough shade thrown at Barcelona, Graham. But instead, let's talk about why Dest doesn't fit in with this current Barca team. Because when Xavi comes in, it felt like maybe things had turned. He gets frozen out, then he gets brought back in. Uh, I think injuries also playing a part. But it did seem mm-hmm. like he was on the way back into the into Xavi's good graces. Now it seems like we're back where we began. His place at Barcelona, Dest's place, has has been very difficult to work out. It hasn't it hasn't been clear. I still don't think it's very clear because. As you say, Taylor, at first it seemed like Xavi didn't fancy him. Danny Alves was playing a lot of those games over him. That's 38-year-old Danny Alves, who's now in, in Mexico. So that wasn't a great statement for, for Dest. Then he seemed to force his way back in, and Xavi spoke very glowingly about him at points last season. And now it seems like he's he's back out of favour again. Ronald Araujo started at right back for Barcelona against Rayo Vallecano at the weekend. Um, Dest wasn't even in the squad at all. And I've read that Sergio Roberto is ahead of him in the pecking order at right back as well. And when Xavi... Never when thing. Xavi was asked exactly why Dest was in the stands for this game, because he's not injured at the moment, he, he never really explains much. He kind of closes it down. And, and he did that after this game. He basically said, quote, it was a technical decision, which doesn't really tell you much about why he's been left at the team, but just tells you that he, he doesn't fancy Dest at the moment. I think if we're reading between the lines... I think Xavi has concerns about Dest's positional sense or, or as he would see, a, a lack thereof. I think he wants more from Dest and possession as well. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the big differences when Alves played last season was when he started at right back, Barcelona used him as... Um, how to describe it? Like a, a hub for possession. That he he saw he saw loads of the ball. He would even drive into centre center midfield with it. And the fact that Xavi now apparently sees Roberto as his first choice right back this season suggests that he he still wants this quality from his right back. And Dest doesn't really give him that mm. at the moment. I I like Dest. I think he is he is a a very good player. I'd be surprised if even if he leaves Barcelona, he drops down too much. Bayern Munich were interested with him. Manchester United have been linked with him more on that later I think but there's no denying he's still relatively raw in some areas of his game and unfortunately those areas of the game are what Xavi is prioritizing in that right back position at the moment 
And I think part of it also is Dest, his profile is get forward, be on the ball, do creative things. He's not he's not a guy who you're necessarily going to funnel build up through in a passing sense. He's, he's very press resistant because he can stay on the ball. He's not really going to turn it over because he's got such great close control. But he would rather dribble by you than pass through you. And Xavi's Barca team is so focused on building from deep areas. And then when they do establish possession higher up the field, where are the fullbacks? They're not streaming forward into the attack. They're not driving forward into the final third all the time, although that does happen sometimes. They're they're pinching in, right? They're sitting deeper. They're either alongside the center backs or most often we're seeing kind of a 2-3-5 shape from Barcelona where you have the right back, which was Ronald Araujo over the weekend, and then the left back pinching in a little bit and being options to circulate in possession and being options to recover the ball in the counter press. Ronald Araujo made, when I was watching that Barca game over the weekend in the, in the first half, maybe he made one or two overlapping, overlapping runs in the attacking half. He was staying home. Dest doesn't really do that stuff. And so I, I don't think that he really fits all that well into Xavi's profile for the right back spot, especially. I think that is at least part of the issue here as well. Or that, that's maybe the, the tactical look at why Dest isn't the perfect Xavi right back right now. Um, I think two things there for me. I think, well, you all, first of all, have done a great job of summarizing why he doesn't fit on the tactics side, on the player profile side. I would add, with all that said, he is also still an asset, and I think one of their most sellable assets at this point. And I wonder yeah. if that, Graham, is why maybe Chavi wasn't talking more specifically about it is because the board had said, leave him out, we cannot risk him getting injured. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm being too charitable there, but yeah. I could see a scenario in which they think, let's keep this guy on ice, people might still come in for him, I doubt we're going to get as much money for Sergi Roberto. So let's see what, what kind of sales Dest can generate. But I do think he does need to move. Uh, con- contrasting him with Pulisic for a moment, Pulisic at Chelsea getting limited minutes, as we've already talked about, Dest may not even get that. But I also think Pulisic at Chelsea is at least in the squad, in the team, you know, is involved in training, isn't being frozen out. You're not hearing a ton of stories about him being dissatisfied with his role or Tuchel being really dissatisfied with him. You hear a little thing here and there, a little thing there. But I think for the most part, he is just a player who's playing for a team, albeit not as much as some of us would like. Whereas Dest, it seems like he is a player who is going to be frozen out. You have to imagine that will impact his confidence. And you need Dest fundamentally to be a confident player because that's so much, Joe, as you said, what his game is about. So it sounds like all three of us are on the same page that Dest is maybe one who needs a move sooner rather than later because we've got about two weeks left. Yeah, I, I think I think he could do with a move. I, I'm not all that bothered about when it happens necessarily. I think if it happens in January, it's not like he's never going to play for Barcelona between now and the World Cup. He's not an ideal fit for what Xavi wants to do. But again, we look at the options that have been talked about with Sergio Dest, and this is what maybe could sway me in this particular situation. What what club that's being linked to Dest or that, that Dest is being linked to right now is a, is a good fit for him, is a, is a dramatically better fit than Barcelona. The one that keeps coming up as I was doing research is Manchester United. And Dest has familiarity with Ten Hag. I think he works really well as a right back in a 4-2-3-1. He can overlap. He'd be asked to do a lot of the, the stuff that I think made Dest so good back when he was playing for Ajax. But at the same time, Taylor, cover your ears. It's Manchester United, right? I mean, that, that's the reality right now is, is do you want to go to the other club that in the summer was just as dysfunctional, if not even more so than the one that you're playing for right now? I I honestly don't think that makes a lot of sense for Sergio Dest. And so in, until a much clearer option comes into play, I I'm really happy with Dest just wait, hanging out at Barcelona. Wait until deadline day if I'm Sergio Dest with Manchester United because if you'd asked me before that Brighton game, should he be going to Manchester United, I would have said yeah, 
I think that's probably a good move for all the reasons you mentioned, Joe, the fact they're looking for a, a right back of his profile. He would be first team there. He, he'd play pretty much every game. There's obviously the Ten Hag, Hag link and, and, and the Ajax link there as well. But but you're right. Minehead is just such a mess right now, a viper's nest, and and they seem every player that goes there seems to be um, just dragged down. And I'm not entirely sure you want him to be in that environment. So that's why I say just just leave it as long as possible to yeah. see if things do improve at Manchester United. They've got that Liverpool game on Monday. It seems likely that Man United might suffer a heavy defeat in that game, but you, you just you just never know. Maybe they pull something out there, they get maybe two or three good signings, and all of a sudden the atmosphere and the environment is a lot better. And at that point, you think, okay, let let's go to Manchester United. So I, I would say that's maybe that's still probably his best option because I don't really see any other links. Chelsea were obviously linked with Dest for a long time, pretty much a, a full year, they seem to be interested. But it seems like they've shifted focus to signing a centre-back over a, over a right-back. And I think that's probably the correct decision, given how good Reese James is as a right wing-back. So a centre-back like someone like Wesley Fofana makes a bit more sense, I think, over another right-back. So it doesn't feel like Dest has, has a lot of options. Obviously, Bayern Munich, as you mentioned, Taylor, they were they had a long time, a long-term interest in Dest, but they've signed Mazraoui this summer, so they no longer need another right-back. So similar to, similar to Pulisic, it kind of depends on what moves materialise. I would keep an open mind with Manchester if, United, although I accept everything that, that Joe says. If nothing comes up that, that is not Manchester United, this just feels like such an obvious stay at Barcelona, stick it out, play cup games, until the World Cup, and then leverage that. I know I kind of keep coming back to that theme, but this just feels like the perfect time. Move in January, right? Barcelona will sell you. They're, they're willing to ride that market boost for you after you play for the United States at a World Cup, a team that's going to have a ton of press, a ton of buzz around them as likely the youngest team in that tournament. Just just stay patient. I, th- this just feels like another really obvious one to me, unless something happens and there's an, uh, an even more obvious move that materializes now. But again, Des not really proven to stay healthy a ton, certainly in recent years. So I, I think staying at Barcelona, uh, barring a, a really obvious no-brainer club coming in for him makes sense to me. I, I'm just concerned that he's not going to be able to pay his rent if he stays at Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be I'd be getting a lawyer to check out that, that, that contract to see how watertight that is, given everything we've seen at the Camp Nou this summer. Uh, I, too, am worried about whether or not he'll be able to make his rent. I think he probably will. Uh, Graham, I am shocked to say that I, I think you, for me at least, have hit the nail on the head. I think it's wait till deadline day. Because I think I'm less comfortable with him staying at Barca if he is surplus to requirement, if he is just kind of... Sitting off to the side, if he's in the stands, I just see him going to U.S. camp being very down, lacking a ton of confidence. Maybe it's a, a breath of fresh air, but more likely to me is that he just doesn't have that swagger, that chemistry, that confidence that I think you would need from him to play the position the way Berhalter wants him to. And I also think waiting till the last minute is smart for the reasons you've laid out when it comes to Manchester United, that right now all the stories are about how terrible things are, about how toxic it is with Ronaldo there. He seems to be being the one that a lot of fingers are pointed at, and I am fine with that. But if they were to move on Ronaldo, if they bring in a few more players, that it does seem like suddenly this is a squad that resembles more the group that Ten Hag wants to coach, is able to coach, that are capable of playing his style, then you do have Dest coming into a team that sort of it's not built for him, but it has previously involved him in a certain way. And so I think it would then be 
a good move for him. It's also the type of move that I think with any other club would be seen as a very smart investment. If this were Liverpool going after Serginho Dest because he's sort of available for cheaper than he should be because Barcelona have the financial issues they do, and you're bringing in a fullback who's played at the international level plenty, has played in the Champions League, can play at either fullback spot, can be a bit more attacking if you go in a back three potentially. I just think he gives... So there's so much possibility and potential there that I think it could be a really smart move if a lot of other things happen at Manchester United. But I think there's other clubs as well who could use a player of his profile. And I think if that were to become a possibility, I'm good with it. But either way, I think make your decision on transfer deadline day, Serginho. I assume you're listening. And he I definitely think, is. Yeah, of course he is. Uh, I think we've covered Serginho Dest plenty. Let's talk about one who I, I'm going to assume we are less comfortable with the idea of him moving on. Weston McKinney got 76 minutes for Juventus in their season opener, a 3-0 win over Sassuolo. Uh, Joe, Weston is another player. Oh, no, I've called him by his first name. Now I'm an American announcer. Let me go back to it. <laughs> McKinney is a player who Wait. we, similarly <laughs> to, uh, yeah, Big West, we see similar to, like, Dest at Barca. Like, it seems like every time there's a big change, a big story uh, at Juve, he ends up being one of the ones who's linked with a move away. But it never seems that strong. It's never a manager saying, yeah, we're happy with him to go, or he doesn't quite fit the system. It feels like, if anything, managers really enjoy having him there. So I'm going to go out on a limb and, and guess that you are more than pleased if Weston McKinney stays at Juve and keeps on starting. I mean, it makes sense, right? I'm, I'm concerned about McKinney's injury history. He already picked up a shoulder injury in preseason, but he did recover in, in time to start their Serie A opener against Sassuolo yesterday, which didn't seem like it was going to happen. So that's a great thing for McKinney. But it, it just doesn't make sense for him to move right now. He's a starter for them. He started, like I just said, he was playing actually some as a number eight in that game, as a, as one of dual eights in a 4-3-3 against Sassuolo. He also played some early on in the first maybe 20, 25 minutes. He was playing as a left-sided midfielder in a 4-4-2 with Anel Di Maria in a free roll with Vlahovic up top. And then Allegri shifted things into more of a 4-3-3 with, with Quadrado on one wing and Di Maria on the other. And we got to see McKenney as a de facto number eight in possession and defensively, which we haven't gotten to see a lot of in the past for Juve. And I, I really enjoyed getting to watch him do that job. He's a starter, I, I guess, according to my principle, that means he, he should go. But that's just not realistic at this point. McKenney's going to stay at Juve, barring some just ridiculous change of events. Uh, Graham, uh, are you on the same page, both about how McKenney's being utilized, but also about him staying at Juve? Yeah, of all the players that we've, we've, we've spoken about and the, the ones we will probably speak about after this, I think McKenney is the one I say stay put because I, I, I don't exactly know how, um, how this season pans out for him as a whole. I, I don't know whether this is what you were saying, Joe, but do you, do you think when everyone is fit and everyone is signed, because I think Juventus are also going to sign Leandro Paredes pretty soon. Were you saying that you, you think he starts for them? Because I, I'm not entirely sure that he does when you have Locatelli, Pogba, Paredes, Zakaria, I know Di Maria is an attacker, but he can play in midfield as well. Do you, do you, where, where do you kind of see him fitting into that midfield? Because that's my concern is that he gets squeezed out a little bit, Juventus. I mean, he, he's going to play like 2,000 minutes, don't you think? He's going to be right in that spectrum. He's going to start every so often, maybe every game, every, yeah. every, every other game, something like that. Juve has enough games. There's going to be plenty of minutes to go around. They have a lot of quality. In that central midfield group, as you say, Graham, but he, he started week one, and that to me says something. It doesn't say everything, but yeah. I, I would be shocked if McKenny, if he stays healthy, which is a, a giant asterisk, I'd be shocked if he doesn't reach at least 2,000 minutes this year. 
Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. And the other thing is Max Allegri seems to be a, a big fan of his. I-, I found countless quotes from Allegri on, on the qualities that he feels McKenney brings to Juventus. So I, I think even if he has knocked down the, the-, the pecking order, he-, he probably gets enough minutes. But I, I think even... Even if that wasn't the case, I think right now there are just too many unanswered questions for him to draw any solid conclusions. I think the 4-4-2 shape that Allegri used against Sassuolo could mean that he's used a little bit more often in that left-sided role, which isn't ideal for the US, but isn't isn't a disaster either if if he's getting if he's getting game time. And, and Pogba's already out for for quite a while, so no. I, I think there's a yeah, shocking. I know, <laughs> um, but there, yeah, I think he's going to get enough game time this season. I do think there's a question maybe this time next year, given how this season pans out and maybe he's not a, a key figure for Juventus in the second half of the season. But right now, stay put, I think, is the, is the wise thing to do. Of the three we've talked about so far, who do you expect to be in the best position this time next year, Graham? Best position in, in terms of, what do you mean? Of uh, their career. Who do you think is playing like the most minutes for the biggest uh, profile club, Ooh, the highest profile club, who is like at the highest point of their career at that point? Oh, that's very difficult. Um, I'll go with McKenney because I I just think there's more. I can't really legislate for what sort of hypothetical moves Pulisic and Dest are, are going to make over the, over the next year. So I th- I think McKenney, in terms of where he is in his at his current club, is certainly in in the best position. And he, as I said said to Joe, he's probably he's going to get game time. So even if he wants to move on, there's probably going to be quite a, a good list of clubs that, that want him. I think Tottenham have a, a, a long-standing interest in him, so maybe that's a that's maybe one to keep an eye out for next, next summer. So yeah, I'll go with McKenney. I've only just realized that if Pulisic were to go on loan to Roma, he is then sort of following in the footsteps of Mohamed Salah. You go Chelsea, you go Roma, maybe Fiorentina was in there, and then you go to Liverpool. We get him there eventually, <laughs> so I think it could all still work out. So if Pulisic goes that route real, real fast and ends up at Liverpool, maybe it's him. Uh, I do lean uh, Weston McKinney of those three, but maybe Tim Weah, Joe Lowry uh, could be in that conversation. Rumored interest from Valencia. We unite him with Yunus Musa, and I'm going to assume Valencia win La Liga in like March, maybe? Maybe April. I think even earlier, to be honest, okay. you, when when you combine Wea and Musa, just crazy things happen. I, I would love to see this move simply from a a selfish. I watch all these players play every single week, and mm-hmm. would love to watch two at the same time. In, in addition to all that, <laughs> two of my favorite USMNT players, two of the players that I think are the most fun to watch. Musa, we talked about this before, is, is actually playing as a central midfielder under Gattuso, which is chaotic and explosive from a managerial standpoint, but is good for Musa right now. And then Weah would fit very, very well, I think, as one of the wingers in that 4-3-3 that Gattuso's rolling out for Valencia. So I, I like that idea. is currently out with a foot injury, so he is another one of the U.S. players that is missing time every month, it certainly feels like at this point. You mentioned Valencia reportedly in for him. Weah played 1,800 minutes for, for Leo last year while missing more than two months of the season with injuries. So when he's healthy last year, when he was healthy last year, he was playing. He wasn't an every game starter. He wasn't the, the most important player for that for that Lille team. But I think he has more to give with Lille. The other interesting factor into all this is that they have a new manager, right? So you have Paulo Fonseca as Lille's new manager, which means they're going to be much more fun than they've been in the past. I know they, they won a title over the last few years. But they never actually played entertaining soccer or something that I would even equate to anything close to Greg Berhalter's U.S. Men's National Team, which is not always fun either. But at least they play a little bit more. Fonseca is going to play more. 
So I actually like the idea of Weah betting in at Leo, getting healthy, and, and finding his place in that squad. I also would be fine with him going to, to play for Valencia. I don't know that I have a strong preference here. In these cases, I kind of always tend to want to play it safe and as the U.S. heads into the World Cup. So I think there could be some fun aspects of his season at Lille. I also am, am certainly enticed by the idea of Musa and, and Weah playing together. Graham, where do you fall on this? Do you think that, that staying or going is better for Weah in this case? I'm I'm split on this because I think the concerning thing for Wea Lille is that Jonathan David has been playing on the right side for them in their first two games and obviously Wea's got an injury at the moment but the other factor, the other thing to consider is that Lille have brought in a new striker in, in, in the summer and Mohamed Bayo has, has come in there. Fonseca seems to like David coming in off the right side and with, with good reason his record in those first two games for this season is 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 pretty incredible. I think he's got two goals, no, it's three, sorry, two goals and three assists in two games from that right side. So maybe it's difficult for Ware to 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 take reclaim that place when David is playing so well. With uh, with Valencia, I think in terms of the prof- pro- the profile of their team under Gattuso, it'd be a good fit for Timothy Ware. But the issue for them is that they see him as the replacement for Gonzalo Guedes, who's recently signed for Wolves, and he was playing on the left side, which we all, obviously Ware can can play there. But for the USMT, he predominantly plays on the right, so he could be playing a different position for club than than country because uh, Valencia have also just signed Samu Castellejo to play on the right side as well. So it seems like Castellejo would be the first choice on the right, Ware on the left. That could work. I think that could be pretty good. But as I say, there, there's a difference there between what he'd be doing for Valencia and what he'd be doing for the USMNT. The other issue with him going to Valencia is that uh, for all the positive things you all have said about Gennaro Gattuso, I think the longest managerial gig he has had so far is two seasons. Uh, and that's <laughs> he has been employed for two seasons. I think he usually gets sacked midway through that second season. Uh, and before that, it was one and done. So uh, I don't know if that would be the most like stable situation for way at Valencia. I can see why it would be nice. I can see why it would be really good to get to watch him and Musa. It does make our work a little bit easier, Joe. But I also would worry about it being sort of too much uncertainty too quickly. We don't know his 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 health yet. We don't know how physically fit he is. We don't know what form he would be in. Then it would be moving to a new team where there's going to be pressure, where there could be a volatile manager. I feel like there's a lot of potential, not quite red flags, but like orange flags that would make me nervous for that one. So I think Wea is, is one where I'm more comfortable with him staying at least until January, let's say. I... I- I watch a lot more La Liga than I, than I do of Ligue 1. Oh, so yeah? I don't know if you've heard, but this is all, all these moves are about me. So ah, I would quite like to see him at Valencia so I can, I can watch him more. Should we just move everyone to Liverpool and Manchester United and then we can just watch those two teams, one of them implode and one of them be good? That's that the good efficient to me. thing to do. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> uh, I don't know which one of them needs Ricardo Pepe, but let's talk about him for a moment. Uh, it does not seem to be going well at Augsburg. And I will hold my hands up and say this is a move that, well, I, I guess initially I was nervous about. Because anytime you have a player making that jump to the Bundesliga, it, it feels like it could be a step too far. And especially when it's somebody moving there to be a starter. The money they paid, it's felt like a huge investment in a in a young player. But we had a lot of hype. We had a lot of enthusiasm for him. And I think... Talking to people, talking to Manuel, for example, who 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 said, you know, they, they have a smart investment strategy. They have a new owner, or not a new owner, but a new majority investor uh, who like has this plan for how they're going to build the the money. There is an is an indicator of how much they believe in him, of how much they like him, and yet at the end of the day, they stay up, but they have not had the success uh, with Pepe or as a club that we had hoped them 
to be able to have. I don't know how much he factors into their plans this season. And this, for me, has become one where I am happy with him moving pretty much anywhere if it means he gets time to play and develop and sort of shake off the rust that I'm going to assume has developed. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about this move in particular. Pepe is not playing at Augsburg. I I went back in my notes from January, and Taylor, we talked about this at the time, and Graham, we Mm -hmm. talked about this at the time. There's concern about this being another Josh Sargent at Bremen or Josh Sargent at Norwich, and that's exactly what it's turned out to be. There were always reasons for optimism here, too. Augsburg didn't really have a primary goal scorer, and so there's this idea that Pepe could come in and be that player for them, and it, it just hasn't worked out. I, I would love to see him go on loan somewhere to try and play and prove and, and get into some level of form and, and to just really continue to develop his game because the development has stalled. And I think it's pretty clear to see right now that Pepe moved too early, too early for everyone but Jesus Ferreira, basically, who's, I think, the, the biggest winner <laughs> alongside with FC Dallas, who it's pretty clear to see also absolutely fleeced Augsburg in this deal. Just incredible business by FC Dallas to get $20 million for for a, a really young and still unproven player, but potential sells. It's it's the idea that Pepe should go. But, I mean, do we think, fellas, that Augsburg are ready to admit that they did a bad thing? Because I think that's I think that's the visual when you send Pepe out on loan. You play twenty you, you pay twenty million dollars for this guy. And after less than a year, you're already saying, okay, yeah, we, we don't really know what to do with him. So someone else is going to have to try, and hopefully that benefits us in the long term. I think that's a, a really unfortunate look for Augsburg. I don't think U.S. men's national team fans would have much of any issue with that. I think they would probably appreciate that move. But I, I just can't see this happening because of how much they paid for him and how recently they made that move. I could see it if you're going from the perspective of we expected to develop this playing style to be able to play this brand of football that incorporates your skill sets and helps us sort of develop you as a player. We haven't gotten to that level, so we can't really stay at the comfort uh, comfort level where we can afford to invest in your development. We can afford to kind of let you have time to grow. So we're going to send you somewhere else where they can do that. They can sort of help you develop a lower level, a lower level team, whatever it may be. And then after that season where you've scored a bunch of goals, hopefully you can come back in. I could see it sort of spun that way yeah. because otherwise, yeah, it is definitely a nope, not good enough. Anybody want to pay us 19 million? Fingers crossed. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't think a sale is on the table for Augsburg because there's no chance they're even getting close to that $20 million figure. So they're just uh, agreeing to a loss at that point. The, the issue even with the loan is I talked about it from an image standpoint, though. You also have, Taylor, this idea that Augsburg are, are still fighting to stay up and they, they need attacking options. They need high potential players. And Pepe hasn't performed yet, but he's undoubtedly a high, high potential player. That's why they paid $20 million for him in the first place. So I, I think it would be... A, a mistake on their part even to try to loan him out, maybe better for the long term, but Augsburg are not in the position right now where they have the luxury of thinking long term. They, they kind of have to think in, in a more of immediate sense, what do we need today? What do we need tomorrow? What do we need to avoid relegation in May? I think that's the questions that Augsburg's asking asking themselves right now. And I don't think the answers to any of those questions involve Pepe playing at a different club. I think it depends on what Augsburg's transfer strategy is, and I, I don't know enough about about what they have, have done this summer or what they would be planning to do in the final two weeks. But if, you're right, Joe, they maybe don't want to lose a potential goal scorer. I know Pepe hasn't been that player for them so far this year, but they, they might want to not want to lose a potential goal scorer when they are expected to be down the bottom of the Bundesliga table. But if they're able to bring someone else in to... Um, argue to fans that they are strengthening while allowing a player to leave they could then from a PR point of view along the lines of what you were saying Taylor kind of 
um, massage it out by saying, well, you know, he's going to develop elsewhere and he's going to come back to us a better player. So we're still getting the best of both worlds where we've got a stronger, a strong squad, but he's away maybe somewhere in MLS developing and he'll come back a better player. I think that's the only way they could do it. But if I'm Pepe at this point with the World Cup on the horizon, it feels like obviously this is a little bit difficult to gauge because we haven't had USMNT games in a wee while. But it feels like he has quickly fallen down that that pecking order. Obviously, Jesus Ferreira's ahead of him now. It kind of feels like Pfock is probably ahead of him now. Certainly, with every goal he scores for Union Berlin, Brandon Vasquez is doing well. Hadji Wright is is he scored at the weekend as well? It, it kind of feels like every number nine option at the moment is doing bits apart from Ricardo Pepe. So I, I think he is maybe at the point where if he wants to salvage his World Cup, um, maybe he he needs to force a move out of Augsburg. Um, I thought things were slightly more bleak at Augsburg. Looking at their transfer activity, the only two players that they have spent actual money on have been central midfielders. They have three players who came on on free transfers, one of them a center back, one of them a holding midfielder. One of them is a forward, uh, Ermedin Demerovic from Freiburg, uh, brought in on a free. But I, that doesn't feel necessarily like he is brought in to be the out-and-out starter. He may end up the starter, he may get some games, but it doesn't seem like there is... I was expecting to see three center forwards, all of whom who were over six foot one or something like that, to kind of show us that maybe they are trying to move on. So maybe that does mean that there is a possibility for Ricardo Pepe. I still think if I were to see him linked with a loan somewhere, maybe it's there at Avizi where he's going to get opportunities. It's less physical. He can score some goals, get that confidence. I wouldn't hate it. But maybe I'm alone in saying that I'm okay with him moving on. It seems like both of you are more okay with him staying put for the time being. No, I think he should move okay. on. I'm, 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 I'm with you, Taylor. Okay. I just think, uh, from Augsburg's perspective, yeah, it's, it's taken a, it's, it's a fail, isn't it? An epic fail for them to lose a, a twenty million, a twenty million dollar player six months after he signed, even if it is on loan. But if it's possible, and if there's a deal there for Pepe, I think he should take it. And Joe, yeah, agreed. I agree with everything that you guys have said. All right, there we are. So that's uh, one, two, three, four, five Americans who could move, uh, many of whom we're not sure should move, which I think is, I guess, not the worst place to be, much rather that than, yep, that guy is never going to play. We got to get him a new move. There are some players who could probably use that, and maybe we could talk about them next week before that window closes. For now, we're going to take one more break, then we will return to talk about some Americans who actually played this past weekend back soon. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We're going to talk weekend performances, and we're going to start with our Americans Abroad segment sponsored by FX's Welcome to Wrexham, which premieres August 24th on FX, and you can stream it on Hulu. This new original documentary series focuses on two very famous Americans abroad, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, as they take over the struggling Welsh football club Wrexham AFC, who play in the fifth tier of the English Football League system. This week, we'll focus on an American abroad who also competes in a lower league with similar dreams of promotion. So, in honor of Welcome to Wrexham uh, on FX, we're going to be taking a look at one American who, I guess, technically has played in a lower level this weekend. Oh, Matthew yeah. Hoppy got one minute, comes on as a 90 plus 7, 97th minute <laughs> sub uh, for uh, Middlesbrough against Sheffield United. I think we're talking about this one less from a what did he do in that minute, Joe, unless you oh, have no, thoughts. We're breaking unless, it down. Okay, yeah, We're, break we're it breaking down. it down, too. No, I didn't watch that. I didn't watch that. Minute. He took no chance. Chance. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but more to talk about. Sort of this move for Matthew Hoppy. We talked about players who sure. could use a move. This is a player who did get one, and I think we would have included in that segment of definitely needing one. So, Joe, happy to see Matthew Hoppy in greener pastures, theoretically. 
Yeah, and that's the the key word there. Theoretically, I think it's doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. I'm happy to see Matthew Hoppy move. So let's let's take it there. I'm not really sure I'm willing to go any further than that at this point. So going from La Liga, he played 131 minutes for Mallorca last year. He played in five games. Matthew Hoppy didn't contribute to anything meaningful in La Liga. He had difficulty reportedly adapting to the language. He struggled with some different injuries, and it just sounded like generally a very difficult season for Matthew Hoppy on and off the field. So in some ways, I'm happy for him, right? Going to a, a culture that is not identical to what he's used to in the United States, but but a place where he knows the language and will have, ideally for him, off the field, an easier time betting in is a good thing. Going down to the English Championship as a, a young player who struggled for minutes and has played, what, 148 minutes uh, between his time at Schalke last year and, and then you have time at Mallorca? He has never played over 1,500 minutes in a single season. I don't know that I love Middlesbrough as a destination. I would have been much more intrigued by him coming to MLS and trying to establish himself there a la Nico Joachini, right? A la someone like Shaq Moore coming back to try to prove something and to sort of get his career back on track. Middlesbrough seems to me like a much bigger risk with Chris Wilder over in the championship than a club like Atlanta United would have been in MLS. Maybe not a ton of minutes there, but I don't I don't love this move for Matthew Hoppy. But at the same time, I don't want to rule it out as a possibility yet. I do think it's an encouraging sign that he got on the field this past weekend, even though we're joking around about it just being one minute because it really was just one minute. Either way, I, I do think that's something. Otherwise, for me, it's just a little too early to tell on this one. And that was one minute coming uh, very quickly after he had signed. He had only been in training to a limited extent. Chris Wilder talked about how they were pleased with his physical fitness, that he seemed physically ready to go. Uh, not as many comments on his technical brilliance and technical <laughs> proficiency. Hopefully that comes with time. Uh, Graham, uh, for folks who are less familiar with Chris Wilder, what can we expect for Matthew Hoppe uh, when he's playing uh, for Middlesbrough under Chris Wilder? So Chris Wilder has has a very distinctive style of play. We obviously saw it for for two seasons in the Premier League when he was he was manager of of Sheffield United. It's all very modern and dynamic. And I remember there was a lot of discussion about the overlapping centre backs mm-hmm. that he used with with Sheffield United. Obviously, that doesn't really affect Matthew Hoppe much, but he likes to have attackers who can carry the ball and 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 stretch the pitch. And obviously, that is something that Matthew Hoppe, in the limited time that we have seen him between his his game time at Schalke and and, and Mallorca. That's potentially something he could, he can do. And at Sheffield United, Wilder used Oliver Burke in in this way, and similar to Hoppy, Oliver Burke was criticised for a perceived lack of technical ability. But Wilder liked his athleticism and um, those sort of attributes that he had. And and Burke was an important player for Sheffield United, even if he didn't score many goals. He kind of got more out of players around him. So I think there's there's potential that that Hoppy could perform the Burke role for Middlesbrough, but. I think we need to be realistic about this. The championship, look, it's not the Premier League, but the, the championship is still a good quality of league. And he has joined uh, one of the, the bigger teams in that league as well. And I think Middlesbrough are quite far along the line in their rebuild under under Wilder. He's been there. He's not just coming this summer. He was in there for the, for the second half of last season. So he is joining quite late in that rebuild. So I don't expect him to be a first team figure. And I think Wilder, in his quotes about Hoppy, even described him as a de- developmental player, which kind of says is that they've they've bought him for the future rather than for right now. So I think some patience for Hoppy if he gets more game time than he did at Mallorca last season. I would say even that that would be a modest 
success. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting move, and I'm interested to see how, how he gets on. I think he's already a fan's favourite with Middlesbrough, given that he has emulated uh, Ravinelli with his with his new Graham Ruthven-esque blonde haircut. <laughs> I appreciate you calling it Graham Ruthven-esque. I also appreciate you pointing out that the development side of things, because for some reason I thought this was a loan, and to realise that it's a permanent move does make me feel better about Chris Wilder saying he's a developmental player, because if you're developing a player in a season-long loan that one i'm not quite sure is supposed to be the goal ideally they play and then they develop as opposed to you're trying to develop them so that does make me feel better in the long term but joe it seems like for a player who broke through at chalka uh, got a lot of attention for the goals has a to my mind a very promising gold cup where he is running all over the place working really hard uh getting into sort of altercations with burhalter and then getting custom shirts made about those kind of altercations with burhalter it seemed <laughs> like he was going to be on the radar going to be in the conversation at this point it seems like what we would prefer is maybe less emphasis for him on on making qatar more emphasis oh, yeah. on sort of getting back into that form establishing himself getting comfortable and then either staying uh with middlesbrough and hopefully they do get that promotion goal or uh moving on but continuing to develop that way yeah, Matthew Oppie is not going to go to Qatar, but I think continuing to try to find rhythm and develop is important. He still hasn't played that many minutes as a pro soccer player. So finding a spot, whether that's Middlesbrough or some somewhere else, some someplace else, that Hoppy can play and develop and, and actually have time to work on his game, that is the most important thing for me. All right. Well, we shall see how it goes for Matthew Hoppy and Middlesbrough. Uh, if you would like to check out FX's Welcome to Wrexham, uh, this Americans Abroad segment was sponsored by FX's Welcome to Wrexham, which premieres August 24th on FX. You can stream it on Hulu. Thank you to Welcome to Wrexham for sponsoring today's show. Graham, uh, which American do you think would fare most poorly in the fifth tier of English football? And why is it Gio Reyna? <laughs> yeah, that's the answer. It's 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 Gio Reyna with his uh, with his his glass legs. I think they would just shatter in the in the lower leagues of of English football, where players like him will get kicked for ninety minutes straight. Joe, I, all I can picture is Joe sort of having to be restrained, like like restrained as Gio Reyna is loaned to a fifth tier team <laughs> just for fear of what that could do to him. That's the opposite of Carbonite, Joe. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of that idea at all. Gio Reyna doesn't need to do anything more than walk out of his apartment before he ends up injured. So, fifth tier of England, <laughs> Joe, you yikes. You wouldn't have any body parts left if Gio Reyna was in Honestly, the fifth part of... Honestly, I'm already down a hammy and like a, a few other ligaments here somewhere. I only have so much left to give, guys. <laughs> I forgot about that bit, Graham. <laughs> oh, man. Joe, Joe, the universal donor. Uh, well, hopefully Chris Richards will not need parts, but he did get minutes, 11 minutes for Crystal Palace in the Premier League against Liverpool. Uh, Graham, did you watch all of his 11-minute debut? I, th- I think it did. Yeah, maybe did. I, maybe I had a second screen on the go at some point, but yeah, I, I I was watching that game. I watched that full full match, and and I thought it was solid enough from from Chris, mm. Chris Richards. Eleven minutes isn't a, a great, he's, a great uh, Chris Richards. Yeah, that, he's uh, the Birmingham Malaba, and he's Chris Richards. That's now. what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, the Birmingham Malaba. That's what Ryan <laughs> named him. Um, I, I don't know how much you can really take from eleven minutes, but he he looked solid enough. And at the point he of the match he was introduced, it was it was largely about protection for Palace, even though they did actually have the the man advantage. At Liverpool were were very much dominant in that final stage of of the match, but he won a few aerial duels and he and he got back to help out inside the Palace penalty area when when Liverpool we're getting attackers forward I'll be interested to see what he can do in an attacking sense and other matches that aren't away to Liverpool at Anfield but a a decent enough cameo for him I thought 
Yeah, I think the attacking side of things very much in this game was Palace trying to waste every possible second. So when he did play it forward, it seemed to be balls kicked about as high as he possibly could, or if he could have kept it in bound and kept possession, it was shepherding it out of bounds for a throw-in for Crystal Palace to then kill 30 more seconds. On the defensive side, Joe, I liked seeing how aggressive he still was in the step. He was trying to make those interventions, and mo- more importantly, I didn't see him get totally like beaten for one of those or misplay it or sort of get out of position. It seemed like he kind of backed himself to win some of those challenges and those that he went for, he won. Yeah, I mean, he was good. He did his job in this game. Graham was totally right about him playing a little bit wider. And I I think that's something we will see from time to time. It seems like that's something that Patrick Vieira values about Chris Richards. And he came in and headed every single ball away that was in his area. He looked comfortable as well, pressing up into the final third, which was just a reminder for for me about how mobile Chris Richards is. There's not a ton we can draw from this game in terms of his on-field performance, other than just to say that it's good he's playing. It was always pretty clear that he was going to play for Patrick Vieira, maybe not every game and maybe not starting every game, but with with the money they spent on him, it was always going to be the case that Richards was going to play, but it's good to see that happen so early on in the year. It's not a ton. There's not a ton of minutes at play here, but it's a strong sign for Richards right now. Uh, I'm going to ask some hard-hitting questions here. Graham, do you think it's good if Chris Richards plays more minutes? Yes. Cool. All right. Just wanted to make I think, sure. I think that was the right answer, right? Yep. You got it right. Uh, one point for Excellent. Graham. Joe, one point for you if you tell, the, tell me that Richie Ledesma is fully fit and ready to go. Richie Ledesma is fully fit and uh, he's not. I can't lie. I can't lie to you, Taylor. <laughs> no points for Joe. I'm sorry. I want my point so bad. Two points, points for Odyssey. Two points for Odyssey. Oh, let's go. Back okay. in the lead. Suck it, Graham. Anyway, uh, let's move past that. <laughs> so, so Richie Ledesma got injured over the weekend, 21-year-old midfielder. Uh, with ankle damage, according to PSV. So they, they uh, sent out a, a statement earlier today that he had a scan on his ankle and there is some sort of, I don't know if it's major or minor, but there's some sort of damage there and that he will, quote, now face a spell on the sidelines. He was getting minutes, too, and I talked about Ledesma briefly last week. He started over the weekend in a 5-2 win for PSV. That was his third appearance in the last five games. He was playing as part of a double pivot, getting minutes so that Xavi... Is it Xavi Simmons or Xavi Simons? The the old PSV... He's not old, but the, the PSV kid? Yeah, I have I have no idea. I've written his name so many times, I don't <laughs> okay. think I've ever said it before. It's a little bit like uh, Victor Osiman, which I, I used to write so many times in articles and had never said it until last season. Graham. So I'm, I'm afraid I don't really have an answer, Joe. Sorry. Graham, uh, sorry, Joe. I'm going to further uh, distract us for a moment to say, I have thought about you not being able to pronounce that name for so long because I was like, it's not that big of a deal. And then I realized it's not that big of a deal because I was mispronouncing it every single time. I have now gone with Osimhen. And I think that's what it is, Osimhen. I had it flipped the H before the M. I think the M is after the or the H is after the M. So Osimhen is what I'm going with. Joe, back to you for Simon Simmons. No, I, I like this whole lot combo a lot more than the the Ledesma injury conversation. Yeah. yeah, I mean, long story short, Simmons is playing. Simons is playing as the number ten, and so we got to see Ledesma in a deeper role, and that was fun. He he didn't do a ton of crazy stuff in his 30 minutes, but he was progressing play, connecting passes, had some more in, ambitious moves. And it comes on this dribble out of PSV's own half that it gets tackled from behind. And now we, we just don't really know when Ledesma's coming back. He said brutal luck with injuries before. Hopefully this is a, a weeks or days rather than month situation. I, I don't know that we know enough to be optimistic about this at the moment, though. Uh, final player to be discussed this week, excuse me, uh, Malik Tillman, a player that when last we spoke, we were both uh, 
Graham and I were excited about we wanted him on that plane. Hey, Joe I'm excited no. about no, I want no, 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 to do no. With him. He's Joe overrated. hates Malik Tillman. <laughs> this you heard I'm, it here. I'm getting it here, and I'm getting it on Twitter. Multiple people have tagged me, and it's Are you all serious? good natured stuff. But I've gotten a couple Malik Tillman tweets, and also uh, Felipe Cardenas mm-hmm. put out some tweet about how Tillman should be. <laughs> on the planet guitar, and I said, whoa, now, in the response. And, and I think he actually, I think there's a lot of folks, Felipe maybe in that group, along with you guys at this point, who knows, that think Tillman should be going to guitar. I uh, I would just say pump the brakes. Yeah. Scotland, <laughs> never mind. Just say pump it, the brakes. Say it, Joe. Say it. <laughs> Twist the knife. Twist Scotland, the knife. Scotland is not, after three good games playing for Rangers, the yeah. level that they play against is not enough to say, oh, wow, this is a game-changing talent. I think Tillman is a talented kid, and I think he's doing very well right now at Rangers, but it's just way too early for this stuff, guys. <laughs> So I I still think we're some way off Tillman being on that plane to Qatar, but he he has Put it on been. My tombstone. Here's here's yeah, here's the, the 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 pro right. Here's my argument for Malik Tillman. He has been excellent. He's not just been good. He's not just been nice. Oh, played some good games. He's pretty much been the man of the match in every game that Rangers have played. And I accept your point, Joe, with the standard of Scottish football. The team that Rangers played at the weekend, St Johnston. They're a bad team, right? I will, I will be honest when, like, uh, Taylor asked me last week about Kilmarnock, I said they can be well organized. They've got a good manager. I can't really say any of those things about St. Johnson. But the thing about Tillman is he, last week, he scored that, that winning goal in the Champions League, in Champions League qualification against Union. That was a huge goal for Rangers. And it wasn't just that goal. It, he was brilliant throughout this, uh, throughout that game. I really wish we would stop recording these shows on Tuesdays because they tend to fall on days where Rangers have big Champions League games. Tonight, on the day that we're recording, they're playing PSV. And obviously that is a big test. That's the biggest test Tillman will have had as a Rangers player and possibly of his whole career. That's the biggest test of his career so far. I haven't seen the team lineups yet. I would expect he is in that starting lineup. But that that is one I'll be keeping an eye on. And if he, he consistently performs at this level, if he's able to keep this up against teams like PSV and Rangers, no matter what happens now, they'll be going into the Europa League group stages. So even if they don't qualify for the Champions League and he's in the Europa League and he keeps this up, that's when you start to have a discussion about whether he should be on that plane or not, I think. Agreed. Uh, Graham, quick follow-up question for me. Are you just going to let Joe do Scotland like that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, I was trying to think of Scottish players who have been successful in MLS and who have not really been that good. Uh, Isn't Patrick Clamalla good in MLS? Uh, Jury's out. Jury's out, Graham. Jury's out. Right. Well, I mean, the the jury was very much in when he was in Scotland and and the verdict was bad, very bad. So (laughs) So I don't know what that says about MLS. Graham says Scotland not as good as USA. Just writing that one down. Uh, Wanted to make sure we had that on the record. But I am... am very optimistic from Alec Tillman. I am not yet. He's on that plane because right now the the depth and talent the United States has is so strong. And I think him not playing as a like out and out number nine for me, playing a couple different spots, a couple different roles means that there are other options elsewhere. We'll have to see how the rest of the season goes. But I would assume we will continue to talk about Alec Tillman between now and when those U.S. rosters drop. But I think he is making a strong case in a way that he would not have had he have stayed at, at, at Bayern Munich uh, or maybe stayed in the Bundesliga. So credit to him for making that jump. T- credit to any of the other players who make jumps before that window closes. We will be back next week to talk about more Americans who did things this coming weekend, as well as any moves that might happen and the like. But for now, Graham Ruthven, thank you for putting up with my nonsense and for talking about Americans today. (laughs) Thank you, Taylor Rotwell. Joe Lowry, the same thing, but to you. Right back at you, Taylor. Listeners, thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you all very soon. (laughs) 